I appreciate the lyrics of that song. If you find Hark the Herald Angels Sing in the wild, you know, out there, you'll find that the lyrics have all been changed because the world can't stand to sing of the offspring of the virgin's womb. You ever heard anybody say something like, uh, boy, the Bible is just an old, boring book. It's just an old, old and boring book. Uh, I wonder when I hear people say that the Bible is boring if they've ever read the Bible because there's so much great stuff in the Bible. Every, every good movie you've ever seen steals its, its root, its, its seed from Scripture. Every good thing. Uh, there's, there's so many wonderful and exciting things to read in the pages of Scripture. We, we find in the Bible the account of creation, the creation of all things that are made in the space of six days. We find the account of the great flood and Noah and his family being saved by the provision that God had had given wonderful people, Abraham and Isaac, David and Saul, David and Jonathan. Think about the wonderful things in the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas. There's so many great things to read about in Scripture. How could someone say that it is a boring book? But we want to be fair today, and we want to say that there are some passages of Scripture that are not nearly as exciting as other passages. If you haven't figured it out, that's where we're going today. To some not-so-exciting passages. Uh, in most cases, the lack of excitement or the lack of, uh, of wonder in the Word of God is because of our lack of understanding or lack of context. It, it, the, the fault lies with us. But there are some texts of Scripture that are almost universally agreed upon to be super boring. So just think about what those passages may be. And, and some of you are there, are you're thinking the begats. That's the one. Those all, how could that be anything exciting? So I thought, what better text to preach from on the Lord's Day, December 25th, 2022, than the why not? Why not go right there? So please turn in your Bible to the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. There are other texts of begats, and I'm sure that uh, if we mine those, we would find wonderful benefit, great benefit there, but we're going to read these uh, we'll read the first 17 verses of Matthew. Uh, we'll get some good begats in here. And, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, so I, I don't want to disappoint you, but begat is not here. We get was the father of. But I'm going to hear begat every time, so maybe you can too. Uh, and, and we'll read the first 17 verses, and then we'll read the remainder of the chapter later as we come to it. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. 
Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Uh, Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abihud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor the father of Zadok. Zadok the father of Achim. And Achim the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar the father of Mathen. And Mathen the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time together this morning. God, we do come before you asking you to bless now your word. Bless it to our sanctification. Bless it to call sinners to salvation. God, open our hearts and the eyes of faith this morning that we might that we might dispense with the foolish and empty notions which surround this time of year. We pray that you would teach us through your word to appreciate the beauty and wonder of Christ Jesus coming to earth as a babe in a manger. Show us the Savior. Help us to hear the voice of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. It's been said that the beginning of a story, the beginning of a book, is a very important part. I mean, you got to get their attention, right? You got to you got to grab the reader. Uh, in in the beginning, you introduce the main character, you establish the direction and the tone of your narrative. And today, I would like to present to you that Matthew's gospel is doing this very well. Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, is not only the introduction to this gospel, but it is the first of the four gospels, and it is the first book of the entire New Testament. And I'd like for us to spend just a few minutes showing that the opening of Matthew is a wonderful beginning, even with all these begets, even with these, I, I would like to convince you this morning that preaching a message from these verses is a good idea. These verses that, if we're honest, most of us 
often just skip over or we blah, blah, blah our way through these hard to pronounce names. But these verses, these verses are wonderful and I hope we leave here today with a special appreciation even for the begats of scripture. The Old Testament closed and there were 400 years of silence. No new word from God. Then God spoke. And as the New Testament opens, as we come after this 400 years of silence and we open in our Bibles, we, we come to Matthew's pen. And God speaks here and says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. This introduces for us the main character. The main character for Matthew, the main character for all four of the Gospels, the main character for the New Testament, and if we're paying attention, the main character for the whole Bible, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And Matthew, writing primarily to a Jewish audience, connects the main character, Jesus, in this first sentence to two important figures in Jewish history and he gives him uh, he doesn't give him the title but he names the title that Jesus has that is the greatest title in all of history Jesus Christ now Christ is not Jesus last name Christ is his title Christ the anointed one the Messiah he is the one who is the promised one the birth of Jesus is the climax of all of history. I want to say that again because I want you to know I thought about it, I wrote it, and I said it on purpose. The birth of Jesus, the, the birth, let me say this, because, because there's nothing in the scripture that tells us, this might come as a shock to you, nothing in the scripture that tells us we should emphasize the birth of Jesus, but we should emphasize the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All of his life. And Jesus' life is the climax of all of human history. Because Jesus is who he is. All of history is divided by his time on earth. By his coming. Next week we will say something like, well it's 2023. Can you believe that? It's 2023. I remember... I was born back in the 1900s. <laughs> We're going to say it's 2023. And what we mean by that is we mean it's 2023 A.D. And that's a Latin abbreviation for the year of our Lord. When we say what year it is, we are saying Christ's life divides history. Don't let anyone tell you that B.C. stands for anything besides before Christ. And don't, Christians, don't write B.C.E. Just refuse. Take the minus five points on the test, students, and say, I refuse to go there. B.C., before Christ. All things that happened before Christ's birth 
looked forward to that event of the Messiah coming. And all things that have happened since look back to his first coming and forward to his second coming. It's all about Jesus. He's the, he's the main event. The arrival of Jesus as a baby in a manger marked a division of history. And Christ is, Christ's first coming is the climax of all of history. So we read here that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. That's how Matthew introduces him in this first sentence. And instantly it causes the Jewish ear to perk up because being a descendant of Abraham puts Jesus in the family of the Jews. And being a descendant of, or a son of David, places him in the tribe of Judah and in the royal line. Ancestry, family tree. It was very important. It is very important, but it was especially very important to the Jews. It was a necessary thing for the Jews. In order for them to buy and sell land, they had to be able to trace their family history. Now, aren't you glad, those of you that have made big purchases, aren't you glad you didn't have to pull out your family tree to make that purchase? Well, that's what they had to do. They had to know their ancestry. Ancestry was very important. And Matthew, in these verses, traces Jesus' ancestry back through King David to Abraham. And for the Jew, that would be sufficient. That would be a sufficient beginning to go back to Abraham. Now, Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel written for a Gentile audience, goes all the way back to Adam, showing that Jesus is the son of man, that Jesus is the brother of us all. But Matthew only needs to go back as far as Abraham to make his point for his audience Matthew doesn't just skip over the fact that Jesus can be traced back to Adam. He does allude to Adam here, and, and we don't see it immediately. But, but there are certain phrases, there are certain key phrases in Scripture that, that call our attention or make a connection to another part of Scripture. I'll give you an illustration. I was so glad that we read uh, from the beginning of the Gospel of John a few moments ago. And if you heard... In the beginning, that's how it started. And immediately, what do we do? Immediately, we make that connection in the beginning. And what do we think? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. That's not accidental. That's not, uh, that, that's not just happenstance. That was done on purpose, that it draws us back there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see in that so much. It calls us back to the beginning. It tells us that the one who is God is with God. That means there's a plurality in God. It tells us that Jesus is God and there's a plurality that we call Trinity because the one who is God is also with God. So there's a Trinity, Trinitarian statement in that. And it tells us that he was before the beginning. He was before, so he's eternal. All of that comes from the way that John begins with this phrase, in the beginning. Well, in the same way as John, and, and kind of want to preach that passage, don't you? I mean, that's that's really good, a good text. 
But, but there's a phrase here that might not be as familiar to us. Matthew says this, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. And that phrase, if we know scripture, it calls us back. It, it just means here's the genealogy of Jesus. But it calls us back to Genesis 5 where we see the book of the generations of Adam. So Matthew does allude to Adam and make that connection for us. And then he explicitly names Abraham and David. The son of Abraham, son of David. And then we have these verses that go through the family tree. And you might wonder, is this really necessary to, to record this family tree in the pages of history? Why, why do we have this? Why are those boring begats in there? And we do know that this is not an exhaustive list. This is not everything that could be said about the family tree. Other things could be inserted. But the names that we read here are known historical figures. We know Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We know the names Rahab and Boaz and Ruth. And by giving us this family tree with these names that are known historical figures, we know then that this work is not a fiction work. These names, these begats show us the factual nature of the text. These were real people. And the things that are recorded here in Matthew's gospel really happen. So the point that we have here is Jesus' birth is historical fact. Jesus' birth is historical. That's one reason the begats are recorded for us to show us that his birth is historical fact. God had promised a Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. All the way back to Genesis 3, we see what theologians call the proto-evangelium. That's, that's hard to say. It means the first gospel. The first gospel, just this week we've been, some of our men, we've been talking about all the way back to Genesis 3, where we have this first gospel. From the fall of man into sin, God had given a promise. Throughout the Old Testament, this promised Messiah was prophesied, was hinted at, was seen in types and shadows. The Jews had long for this promised one for centuries, so many years, so many generations had passed. All of the hope of Israel was riding on this promise of God. Now Matthew opens with this genealogy. Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Born under the law that he might redeem those under the law. So our next point, Jesus' birth highlights the faithfulness of God. From all the way back at the beginning, the promises, God is faithful. This is a family tree. This is ancestry. 
Last year, I did some digging into my own ancestry. I just wouldn't believe the number of people. I, I have a lot of preacher friends. And uh, how many of them say, you're not kidding to John Gill, are you? John Gill's a famous pastor and theologian. And I finally said, okay, I'm getting an answer. I'm going I'm to find an answer. So I did some digging into my ancestry to find out if I was actually kin to the great John Gill. And I was disappointed to find that he is not great granddaddy John Gill. Uh, probably a great uncle. There is a connection. And by the way, in that family line, there are so many Johns. There was even a first, second, and third John. I'm not kidding. It was, it was, it was awesome to see. <laughs> first, second, third time. Yeah. So, um, so I, I found a lot of things out about my heritage, about my ancestry. And I found some bright points. I found some, some things that were, that were good to know. I, I found soldiers. I found a doctor who delivered babies on the frontier for payments with chickens and pigs. I found some bright spots and I was glad to find them because I already knew about some dark spots. I already knew about some things that I really wish the reputation of those people would just go away. Wouldn't it be great if that is? Maybe you're finding a connection in your own family that you're like, yeah, there's some stuff I would, I would just as soon forget. I'm not going to be sharing those stories with you today. I, I might, if I ever wanted to write up my family history, I might hire a writer to, to help me with that. Like the, like the family who wanted to write up their family history, they wanted to have a book about their ancestors. and They hired a writer, but they were concerned about Uncle George. Uncle George had been convicted of murder and was sentenced to hard labor in prison until he was executed in the electric chair. How, how are you going to keep that awful blight from tarnishing your family name. Well, the writer said, don't worry about it, I'll handle it. And when the book came out, it read as follows. Uncle George worked hard for the Department of Justice for a number of years. <laughs> After which he was given a chair of applied electronics at a well-known government institution. He became quite attached, being held there by the strongest of ties until eventually he died. And his death came as quite a shock. <laughs> it's a funny story, and it illustrates this, that, that we have parts of our history, parts of our ancestry that we would like to skip over, that we would like to forget. And, and wouldn't you think if you were writing the Gospel of Matthew, boy, there's some things you'd skip over. But God does not do that in the lineage of Jesus Christ. We might think as we read through this, well, there's, there's a list of some great men, but more glaring, more outstanding, more obvious to us as we read through this list are the names of sinners placed here. A, a, an ancestry like this would not normally include any woman <coughs> name. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be that guy, but that's just fact. It would not normally include any woman's name. But here, there are four women listed. Four women named. And they're not the women that you would say, well, that's going really, to really beef up the resume. 
All, all the women aren't listed. It's just these four. It's only women whose names would add scandal to the family tree. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Tamar was married to a son of Judah named Ur. Ur died leaving no children. And the law said then that she was to marry her husband's brother. His name was Onan. Uh, and Onan would then provide uh, an offspring for his dead brother. But Onan refused and God killed him. Now with two dead sons, Judah hid his youngest son. Did not want him to marry this widow. He refused then in that way to provide Tamar with a child. So Tamar disguised herself, pretended to be a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law. And then she showed up pregnant. And Judah was about to have her killed for her unfaithfulness. But then she creatively delivered the news that Judah himself was the father. What a, what a messed up story. Not, not only is this story full of sin, the sin of Onan, the sin of Judah, the sin of Tamar, the sin of Judah again. This is the, this is the order of sin that is so grotesque that sinners say, that's sin. That's, that's, there's something wrong here. This is really messed up. And God includes this history in the lineage of Christ. Not only historically, but when he's writing it out in the book of Matthew, he puts it in here. Just so you don't forget, Perez's mama was Tamar. Just don't forget that. Rahab, she did not pretend to be a prostitute. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Rahab the harlot. A Gentile prostitute, not one of God's covenant people. She was a sinful woman and her name is included here. Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites were known to be an ungodly people. The Moabite women seduced the Israelite men to weaken the nation and, and to try to defeat the nation from within, as it were. The Moabites were hated. Absolutely not God's chosen people. But Ruth, the Moabite, is listed here. The text names Bathsheba. And it says this, Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Just in case you forgot that she was an adulteress. Just in case you forgot that whole story. David and Bathsheba had Solomon, but Bathsheba had been the wife of your All of it's right here. Right here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, at the beginning in Christ's ancestry. We might expect these stories to be the stuff of a movie or, or included in a TV miniseries, but we certainly don't expect to find this scandalous stuff 
in the lineage of Christ Jesus, the Messiah. But we do. And it's, and it's here. And it's here for a purpose. Maybe it's here for more than one purpose, but at least it's here for this reason. And this is our next point. Jesus was born in a line of sinners who needed a Savior. This is not the pedigree of our Savior. This is sinners who needed a Savior. Even the men who are listed in this ancestry, who we might consider great men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. Well, we remember, don't we, that Abraham was a liar. Isaac was a liar as well. Jacob was a cheat. David was an adulterer and a murderer. When we see these men and these women in this lineage, we don't need to think that greatness and integrity is the theme here. The theme is sinners needing a savior. And, and what a comfort it should be to us to know that Jesus came for sinners such as these. Whatever, whatever category of sinner you are, Jesus came for sinners. He came to save his people from their sin. He came that we might have life, abundant life. Our, our greatest need, beloved, our greatest need is realized in the person of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. What, what other religion, what other God, and I'm using that with a lowercase g because we know there is no other God, but what other God is God with us? No other religion. The, the Muslims don't speak about being drawn into fellowship with Allah. Only the one true and living God knew that men needed God with us. The God man. Fully God and fully man. Fully God in his essence, for in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells. Fully God that he might be able to reach right into heaven. Fully God that he might have the right and privilege, the access to come to the very throne room. Fully God. And he would have to be fully man without ceasing to be God. He had to take to himself a human body and soul to become our brother in humanity. I know you hear me use that phrase, our brother in humanity. You hear that a lot from me because it's so important. He is our brother in humanity. He, he became one of us that he might die for us. And, and he could not come. He could not come and, and be our brother in humanity by ordinary generation. We had that messed up long before. Ordinary generation is, is a phrase from our confession. Uh, listen to what the second London confession says in chapter six. 
about Adam and Eve uh, and their sin and how that is passed down. Speaking of Adam and Eve, it says, being the root and by God's appointment, standing in the room and stead of all mankind, the guilt of the sin was imputed and corrupt nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. Ordinary generation means everybody that's got both a mama and a daddy. Everybody that, and by the way, if you ever hear anybody say, I don't have a daddy, everybody's got a mama and a daddy. Everybody except Jesus, who had an earthly mother and a heavenly father. Our, our confession continues. Being now conceived in sin, this is who we are as descendants of Adam through ordinary generation, being now conceived in sin and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. I love those little phrases that give us hope. We did not need another descendant of Adam. We needed the virgin born Savior whose name is Jesus. And even his name, even his name contains the mission statement of his coming. The name Jesus means the Lord saves and this is our next point. Jesus, the virgin born Christ, is the only hope for sinful men. So in these boring begets, we see Jesus coming as the climax of history. We see Christ's birth as historical fact. We see Jesus' birth highlighting the faithfulness of God. We see that Jesus was born in a line of sinners who needed a Savior. And we see that Jesus is the only hope for sinful men. Now, as we hold these things in our hearts, let's pick up our reading in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph being raised from his sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. 
Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Redeemer of sinners, my Lord and my God. I pray now that you would make your word effective in, in our hearts, accomplishing your purpose. We ask that you would draw sinners to repentant faith, that you would continue to apply the work of salvation to those who believe in you. We ask that you would sanctify your people. Make us to love you better, to love you in a way that more accurately reflects the revelation of you in Scripture. Be with us now as we have considered the manner in which you came to us. And be with us as we approach the table, the table that you have ordained, remembering your life and death and resurrection. We thank you and we bless your name for coming as a baby in a manger, for growing and living your entire life on this earth, keeping the law perfectly, for dying in our stead on Calvary's cruel tree and for rising from the dead to give us hope of resurrection. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.